Good morning. Some of you may have heard this morning that there have been two bombing attacks on churches in Egypt, one near Cairo, one in Alexandria. Both of these were Coptic, Coptic churches, uh, Orthodox churches, uh, uh, Christian churches in, in Egypt, primar- uh, particularly in Egypt, the Coptic churches have, have uh, grown there. But uh, in any event, uh, ISIS has uh, claimed responsibility for these bombing attacks. And uh, I think it is important to note that um, this is the condition of the world today as we wait for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But it is something that should awaken us as believers in Jesus Christ, that these kinds of attacks, whether they be in Egypt uh, or in Europe or even in our own country, uh, they're rising more and more in, in uh, <clears throat> not only in, in uh, frequency, but also just in uh, focusing more and more on the ones who believe in Jesus Christ they believe in the cross of Christ, as we do. Uh, we may have differences in our the- theological positions, but that's not what's important here today. <clears throat> what's important is that we pray for these uh, churches. We pray for the, the, the families of those who lost loved ones. There were, last time I checked, there was about 37 people that were killed in both attacks. And so um, it is a stark reminder to us as believers that Uh, how we want to form or fashion church or how we want to form or fashion the way we ourselves personally think or believe uh, is is not the most important thing. What matters is staying faithful to the word of God, staying faithful to worship God, to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ, to stand on the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, to proclaim Christ no matter what the world says. ISIS does what they do because they consider any kinds of Christians uh, enemies uh, to Islam across the world. The most important weapon that we have as believers in Jesus Christ is the love of Christ. And we can never forget that. The very thing that we're talking about today in Jesus entering into Jerusalem is that he enters in as the one who must go to the cross before he receives his crown as king. But the fact of the matter is that every believer in Jesus Christ has to come to the cross as well. And the cross is a symbol of death. We die to ourselves so that Christ may live in us. And I think these are reminders to us as well that we as, as Christians must be Christians. That we have to quit playing games with God. We have to quit making uh, up the rules. No, the rules have been given to us, as it were. We have the word of God. It isn't about entertainment. It isn't about, you know, growing the biggest church, being the richest church. It's about having the heart to lose everything so that Christ is everything. We need to understand this. You need to also understand that we go to great lengths to protect you in this church because we're aware that anything can happen at any time. 
But our trust is first and foremost in the Lord above all things. So no matter how much we do as far as security is concerned, and we're thankful for what God has raised up here, nonetheless, we need to be discerning, we need to be wise, we need to be vigilant, because the day of the Lord is at hand. And so I just want to encourage you all to keep praying. I want you to keep looking up because your redemption draws near. I want you to keep looking in to the word of God. I want you to stand upon the word of God. I want you to tell people about Jesus Christ because that is a calling that we have. And I want you to know how much God loves you and how much the love of Christ needs to exude from your lives to others. Just to share that, may we pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity, Lord, to gather once again in your name. I thank you, Lord God, that you've called us to go forth rejoicing and giving praise to you for the wondrous things that you do. But we should always remember, Lord God, that we have brothers and sisters that are suffering great, greatly for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the cross, and for the sake of the name of Jesus. So today, Lord God, we want ourselves, Lord, today to look deep into our own hearts. Pray that you'll help us to understand these things as we seek to understand your word today. I pray, Father, that you will be with those families that lost loved ones in in churches in Egypt and those who have suffered the pain and the loss of the wickedness of groups like ISIS and Al-Qaeda and others. But Lord, we know that you are still God and that you're still on the throne. And we turn to you and ask that you would anoint and bless us today and every day with your Holy Spirit, with your wisdom, with your grace, with your understanding, with your mercies, and with your truth. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 12, uh, a little bit of a rehashing of what we began last week. We just so happen to be uh, looking at this passage on the day that uh, the majority of the Christian church uh, commemorates the entrance of Jesus into Jerusalem on what is called Palm Sunday. That is where we are today as far as the calendar is concerned. But we began this study last week, and uh, I do have to mention, if you weren't here last week, uh, you know, bear with me. Uh, but uh, I'm not going to go into greater uh, or great detail into the study from last week. We did a full exposition on verses 12 through 19. Today we're going to look a little bit deeper into some spiritual truths that we find in verses 12 through 16, uh, just to complement that which was given uh, last week. But I think uh, some things that are of importance for us to see. So in verse 12, and I want to read just uh, uh, through verse 15 and then, and then add verse 16 in a moment. But in verse 12, it says, On the next day, much people that were come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. And Jesus, when he had found a young ass or a young donkey, sat thereon as it uh, is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, thy king cometh sitting on an ass's colt. I want to delve into some of the deeper spiritual issues pertaining to the events of the day that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ rode into Jerusalem on the foal of a donkey, or the young donkey, 
the day being the 10th of Nisan, which we looked at very carefully last week and saw the prophecy that was given in Nehemiah at the, uh, at the declaration for Nehemiah to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And from that date to the day of this entrance into, uh, into Jerusalem by the Messiah that Daniel the prophet had written about the very exact same day is the day that is mentioned here in John chapter 12, as well as in the other three Gospels. But it is the day being the 10th of Nisan, the day that lambs were selected and examined and observed for five days before the Passover to be sacrificed on behalf of each and every family or families, as it were. Last time we dealt generally with the physical and the prophetic happenings of that day. And while we covered some of the spiritual aspects, there are a few more that I'd like to address. As we look more closely at verses 12 through 15 and compare them with the synoptic gospels, that being Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we'll find more valuable spiritual insight into Jesus' preparation for his disciples as he marches ever closer to the cross. Now, Jesus has been preparing his disciples for a good while for the day of his death, for the day that he would die on the cross. But this is all a part of it as well. And you'll remember what John said in verse 16 when he said, These things understood not his disciples at the first, but when Jesus was glorified, then remembered they that these things were written of him and that they had done these things unto him. So what John is saying is that they didn't know at the time that they were happening what was happening. And it wasn't until after the resurrection of Jesus that uh, the things that they had been taught was finally making sense. But listen, and I think you'd agree with me that sometimes when the Lord is teaching us something of great importance, we, we don't always get it, right? We don't always get it immediately, and it takes some time to grasp certain truths or concepts related <coughs> to the truths that we are indeed learning. So, so it was with the disciples, so it is with us. I mean, the disciples were at the feet of Jesus himself. And they didn't get it. So, you know, there are times when we read things and, you know, we're, we're saying, Lord, give us some wisdom. Give us some understanding. Give us grace. Sometimes it comes immediately. Other times it takes a little longer. So with that in mind, let's, let's just read through all three accounts. Rather than read through all three accounts, let's, let's just look at Matthew for comparison here. Because I want to go back to this day that Jesus entered in to Jerusalem, the 10th of Nisan. In Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11, I want us to read that. There are some things that happen after that. I'll just mention that after we read verse 11. But it says in verse 1, it says, And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem, which means they drew near to Jerusalem, and were come to Bethphage. Now, Bethphage is is, uh, the name of another little town there near the Mount of Olives. We know of Bethany, which was the home of uh, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. But Bethphage was, a, was another little town. It uh, literally means the house of figs or the house of fig trees. And uh, we have to understand that on the Mount of Olives, of course, and obviously, it was a mountain that had a lot of olive trees on it. This would, would be what would be called the western side of the Mount of Olives, facing the eastern gate of Jerusalem. On the other side of, of the Mount of Olives, on the same mount, but on the, west, on the eastern side, would be this town, Bethphage, because they also had groves of, of, uh, of fig trees. But this is all just for us to understand where you are 
on this, uh, uh, on this journey with Jesus. He says, they were come to Bethphage unto the Mount of Olives, and then sent Jesus to disciples, saying unto them, go into the village over against you, and straightway, which means immediately, you shall find an ass tied and a colt with her. Now, Matthew is the only gospel writer that mentions two animals. Mark, Luke, and John all mention just one. They mention the foal of a donkey, which would be the young donkey, a, a, an immature uh, donkey. They call them a colt or a foal. But here, Matthew mentions uh, a donkey, an older donkey, and a colt. In, in effect, this is actually the mother of the colt. Now, this is not a contradiction, because Jesus could only ride one, in, one animal in, and they all said which one he rode in on. So there's no contradiction here. But I think it's important that Matthew does mention the fact that Jesus really asks for both animals to come. He says, loose them, bring them unto me. And if any man say aught unto you, you shall say the Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. And another thing that we have to understand is that Jesus, in all of his preparation, made preparation for these colts to be available and ready, or the, the, the donkey and the colt to be available and ready to be used of the Lord when he wanted them. Everything is according to God's timing. Everything is according to Jesus' timing. So Jesus made preparations and the disciples didn't know, but you know they, they went and told the, the person and, and of course he, he let them go to them because the Lord had need of them. All of this, notice in verse 4, was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. Now we read last week, of course, from our text that the prophet was the prophet Zechariah. Zechariah 9 verse 9 uh, specifically. But the prophet said this, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek and sitting upon an ass, or sitting upon this, this colt, and a colt the foal of an ass. So in effect, even here he mentions the two animals, and the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them, and brought the ass and the colt, and put, them, uh, put on them their clothes, and they set him thereon. So actually both animals were saddled, as it were, with the clothing of, of uh, with the outer garments of the people uh, that were uh, preparing them for Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. And Jesus, of course, would ride upon the foal of the donkey, and there's, uh, we'll get to that in a moment. But you'll notice in verse 8 that it says, A very great multitude spread their garments in the way, and others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way. In other words, they laid them uh, down, uh, preparing a way for Jesus. And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, and say, uh, cried, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. And when he was come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. So now you have really two groups of people mentioned here. You have the group that have been following Jesus, probably there when Jesus uh, raised Lazarus from the dead, following Jesus, many of them coming down from, from the Galilee. Uh, uh, Jesus wasn't in the Galilee right before, but he was there at the Jordan, and maybe they followed him from, from uh, uh, Bethabara where he was, or, or the other place where he was, and then he came down, came over here to Bethany, and then, of course, into into Jerusalem. And then there was the group that was inside of Jerusalem. The inhabitants of Jerusalem were the ones asking, who is this? 
And they said, this is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth, uh, of Galilee. So there were those who were aware of the day. When we read about the, uh, the chief priests and the scribes and the Sanhedrin who should have been aware, we thought of the words of Jesus and we even shared the words of Jesus when he, when he said, uh, when he cried over the city and, and he said, you know, you are missing the day of your visitation. The day that you should have known was the day that the Messiah would go into this city, the very exact day that uh, Daniel had spoken of from the time of the declaration of the building of the uh, uh, or the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem to the moment that Messiah enters into the city, that was 483 years. But they missed it. Yet some of them, some of them did exactly what needed to be done for Messiah to enter. They praised him with the words of Psalm 118. They laid before him those the, uh, the palm branches. And even their outer garments, they laid before Jesus. I spoke briefly last time about the false concept that the people had about Jesus and that they were looking for a political and military deliverer. They wanted a conqueror. They wanted a provider who would lead the Jewish people in the victory against their Roman oppressors and defeat them completely. But the true concept and the true purpose of the Messiah of Israel were now to be seen very clearly as the prophecies of both Daniel and Zechariah attest in the means by which Jesus entered into the city. The donkey and the foal of the donkey were noble creatures. The donkey was a beast of service to carry the burdens of men. I think if you have this thinking, as, as all of us should, the more we read the scriptures, the more we want to apply certain things from our thinking, certain spiritual things to the things that Jesus does. This is a good place to do that. It isn't just an animal sitting on the side of the road. It was one selected by Jesus. And we'll talk about uh, the specifics of that a little bit later. But the donkey was a beast of service to carry the burdens of men. But more significantly, it was used by kings, ambassadors, emissaries within the nation of Israel. When entering into any city in peace, they would ride a colt the foal of a donkey to symbolize their peaceful intentions. If somebody comes on a horse and a big horse like Alexander did, they knew that they came to conquer. You ride on a foal of a donkey, you come in peace. There are two references to donkeys being ridden in the book of Judges, and while those are mentioned as more of, of status symbols, the, the peaceful intent was still the same. And so this differed quite dramatically from the conquering king who would ride in victory on his stallion. I mentioned last week as well that, that uh, <clears throat> most people consider this passage to be that which shows us the triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. But I ask the question, was it triumphant or was it tearful? 
Because again, before Jesus does anything, he cries over the city. He weeps over the city of Jerusalem for their unbelief, for their blindness, for their missing him. When he came on a very precise day when they should have known. But if this was a triumphant entry at all, then it was indeed a triumph of humility over pride and worldly grandeur. If it was a triumphant entry at all, it was the triumph of meekness and gentleness over rage and malice. The Messiah of Israel was coming as the Savior and the Prince of Peace who had been sent to save all men. To the Jew first and also to the Gentile. He was coming to show men that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the God of love and reconciliation. This is something that we might miss about the entrance of Jesus into the city of Jerusalem. But he came to show that he was the Prince of Peace. Is it any wonder that the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 9, would write these words, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Being justified by faith. Remember, we are saved by grace through faith, and that, not of yourselves or ourselves, it is the gift of God. That faith is that gift. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What kind of peace do we have? We have peace that a conflict is over. See, understand this, that before we came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we had a conflict with God. We weren't really followers of God. We could go to church all we wanted to, but it didn't make us, it didn't make us at peace with God. The reason why we were at conflict with God is because we were full of sin. We were born into sin. This is the reason why, if you read back in Genesis chapter 3 about the promise of, of the Messiah coming, the seed of the woman, it mentions the word enmity, the enmity, the hostility that sin brings in, the hostility that the enemy brought in because of sin. We'll see that word here uh, shortly. But Paul says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We come to Jesus. We're no longer at war with him. You see, he conquered us. Anybody thankful for that? He conquered us. We're no longer at peace. I mean, we're no longer at war. We're at peace with him. It is a word that can be translated back into the Hebrew as shalom. We have peace, shalom, wholeness and completeness and fullness in Christ. But we have it with God. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. 
One thing that happens to the believer in Jesus Christ is that we are going to face trials and tribulations every day of our lives. We may have even been facing some trials and tribulations when we came to know Jesus. The only difference is that when we came to Jesus in the midst of those trials, before we didn't have peace. When we come to Jesus, now we have peace that God is in control of all things and we can deal with every trial and tribulation with that peace. So he says, hey, we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh or produces patience, and patience works and produces experience, and experience works and produces hope, and hope maketh not ashamed. It doesn't disappoint. This is a hope that will never disappoint us. We can have hope in the world that something's going to happen, but it may or may not happen. But anything that is written by God and in his word, we can hope in because it is going to happen. And it's always going to be something that is good and something that is right. Hope maketh not ashamed. And here's the reason. Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength. That is that when we were without God in this world. When we were without the strength that God gives us to understand and to know what that hope in all is. In due time he said Christ died for the ungodly. One of the prideful things that we had before we became Christians was that we would never have called ourselves ungodly. There are some people that boast in their ungodliness. But very few would actually say that they were ungodly. We try to be good. Yeah, but our goodness isn't going to get us into heaven. When we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. Who are the ungodly? They were all people who were born into sin. And there wasn't one who wasn't. Except Jesus. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet for adventure, or perhaps for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I mentioned in the last service that we ought to be very thankful that Jesus pushed forward to the cross and, and, and completed what he came to do. Because wouldn't it have been, wouldn't it have been something that while we were yet sinners, Christ came. But because nobody was listening to him, and he only had this few small group and band of, of disciples follow him, he said, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to the cross, man. I give up on these guys. I'm going back to heaven. Aren't you glad he didn't do that? You see the importance now of what it says that God commendeth his love toward us? This is a love that is unconditional. It is a love that goes to the depths of our hearts that rises up to the heights of heaven. It is a love that no one else could ever have. But it's the love that God gives to everyone who believes in him. God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He came and completed what he came to do. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. We stay without Christ we have to pay for our sins. That's just the way things are. But he saves us from wrath through Jesus. There's another level of understanding of the peace of God 
When Paul writes in Ephesians 2, verses 13 through 18, when he says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace. There's the word again. He is our peace. Jesus is our peace. He is our shalom. He is our wholeness, our completeness, our fullness, who has made both one. Now we need to understand in the context of this passage who the both are. The both are the Gentiles and the Jews, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity. There's that word, hostility. You see, there's not only hostility between man and God, there's hostility between man and man. Because you're not me and you're not who I am and you're not who I, you know, my tribe, you know. We become tribal. Right? Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, to make of himself to make in himself of two one man, so making peace, this very same peace, this very same shalom, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity, having slain the hostility thereby and came and preached peace, there it is again, to you which were afar off, that meaning the Gentiles, and to them that were nigh or near, the Jews. Because remember, he came to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. For through him we both, Gentile and Jew, have access by one spirit unto the Father. And so the scripture says very clearly that when we come to Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free. He brings peace. We need to understand the peace that Jesus entered into Jerusalem with as the Prince of Peace and took it to the cross. Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 through 23. Again, we, we deal with this very issue of the, the importance of this peace when, when Paul says, for it, if it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell and having made peace through the blood of his cross. By him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, who would that be but everyone who was born into sin? Yet now has he reconciled. He has bought us back in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. But notice verse one, uh, 23, if, notice that first word, if you continue in the faith grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel. This is the crux of the matter, if I can use that word. This is the crux of the matter, continuing every day in the faith, grounded and settled, and being not moved away from the hope of the gospel, the hope that is truly to come because God's word never fails. He says, which you have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven and whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. When Jesus enters in on that donkey, on the foal of the donkey, 
he comes in as the prince of that peace. That peace that we are to have with God, that we are to have with one another as his children. And as mentioned earlier, the foal or colt of a donkey also symbolized service. So not only does he enter in as the Prince of Peace, but he enters in as a servant, symbolized by the foal of the donkey. What does he do? What does he learn to do? What were donkeys used for? to carry the burdens of men. Matthew 20, verse 28 says, Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. In simple terms that you can understand, this is what Jesus said. He said, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He did not come to be served. I think that is clearly seen in the Gospels, in everything Jesus did. I think it is seen clearly in prophetic literature, in the prophetic, the, uh, the prophetic books of the scriptures, that eventually point to Jesus being the one who will serve his bride in heaven. <clears throat> it is this very same Jesus who hours before he goes to his trial, as we shall see in chapter 13 of the Gospel of John soon enough. But hours before, on the night of Passover, on the night that he would be betrayed, Jesus girded himself up and he sat at the feet of the disciples' feet and washed their feet. Jesus said, I, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. And that very same attitude and that very same heart is what we as believers in Jesus Christ are to have. Paul tells us in Philippians 2, verses 4 through 8, and listen to what he says. Look not every man on his own things. Don't look after just your things, but every man also on the things of others. Be more concerned about the needs of others than about you. Don't be unconcerned about your own, but be more concerned about others than your own. And notice that he says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So as he was to be servant, servant, a servant, in effect, a slave, so should that be our mindset. So should that be our heart. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. And notice this, and took upon him the form of a servant. Now, if we had written this just ourselves, he would have first of all taken the form of a man, but that's not what Paul writes. He said he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. I believe that order 
is is purposeful and purposed that way. He came to be in the form of a servant, made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. The title of last week's message and this week's message as well is that there is to be a cross before there's a crown. And all of these things are leading us to see what Jesus is saying about his greatest service to us, which is going to the cross itself. But one of the greatest, one of the greater aspects of service is found in the statement in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. And I believe this is so significant and so important for all of us to understand. Because I can tell you this, the world, the flesh, and the devil are always trying to get us to think that they don't exist. (laughs) But the devil exists, doesn't he? Just consider the evil of this world today. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, I, I think you all got up this morning, you probably pinched yourselves to make sure you were alive, right? It wasn't a dream. Right? Okay? Yeah. You looked in the mirror and you said, oh, it's got to be a nightmare. (laughs) So then you got yourself ready for church. So think about that. As the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself, Jesus, uh, likewise took part of the same, took on flesh and blood. That through death he might destroy him that had the power of death. Now, please understand this. He's talking about the devil because he says that is the devil. But the devil didn't have the power of death in and of himself. It was something that was allowed by God. Because just a few days before his entry into Jerusalem, Jesus showed who really had power over death and life when he raised Lazarus from the dead. So the power of death that, Jesus, that, the, that Paul is speaking of here about the devil is that which he, he boasts in himself as having, but he himself is a created being. He, he can't have the power of death and life. God does. But everything that, the, that the Satan does leads toward death for anyone who follows him. So understand that through death, through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. His whole purpose is to keep us from realizing that we have life in Christ if we want it. And when we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, we want people to know that there's hope in Jesus. There's victory in Jesus. Next week, we're going to commemorate the, 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 the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what the church should be doing every day of their lives, every day of their existence. Every member of the body of Christ is to show that Jesus has power over sin, death, and the devil, and hell. And he delivers those who are through fear of death, were all their lifetime subject to bondage. It's bondage to be afraid of death. We're called to fear the Lord. And the fear of the Lord produces wisdom and understanding. 
If we trust in the Lord, we know something. If we die, if these bodies die, we'll still live. And we'll live with him in new bodies later. You have to know the word of God. You have to know that these are the promises that God is making. So as believers in Jesus Christ, we don't have the fear of death. We've all lost loved ones. And we'll continue to lose loved ones until the day Christ comes. But the fact of the matter is, we want our loved ones, we want our friends, we want people we don't even know to know that they don't have to fear death if they will trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's one more aspect that is necessary for us to understand about the cult. I'm going to have to put it in overdrive now so we can leave it a decent time. But something else that we need to understand about the colt, the foal of the donkey, because it symbolized, it also symbolized sacredness or holiness in this respect. The colt was set apart because it had never been ridden before. That's being set apart for service to God. Being set apart for service to God. In Mark chapter 11, verse 2, Mark, in his account of, and which would have been, of course, Peter's account to Mark that Mark would write down. But in Mark 11, verse 2, it says, He saith unto them, Go your way into the village over against you, and as soon as you be entered into it, you shall find a colt tied. And notice this phrase, Whereon never man sat. This colt had never been used for any kind of service because it was set apart for service unto Christ. Loose him and bring him, it says. Now, animals and things used for religious purposes had to be animals and things that had never been used before. For example, in Numbers chapter 19, verses 1 and 2, it says, The Lord spoke unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, This is the ordinance of the law which the Lord has commanded, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel that they bring thee a red heifer without spot, wherein is no blemish, and upon which never came yoke. In other words, an animal, a red heifer, that was pure and spotless, but and had never taken on the yoke of bondage, or the yoke of burden, the yoke of work. That had never worked for anyone else or anything else. It was now without that detail, because it is set aside for God's service. In Deuteronomy 21, it begins there at the verses 1 and 2, dealing with uh, the murder of someone. Uh, these, are, these are laws and statutes. And in verse 3, it says, And it shall be that the city which is next unto the slain man, even the elders of that city, shall take a heifer which has not been wrought with and which has not drawn in the yoke, which has not been used by anyone else for any other kind of work. It is set apart for this one purpose. And then it goes on to talk about the purpose that it's, it's used for. 1 Samuel chapter 6, verse 7, it says, Now therefore make a new cart and take two milk kinds, which is two milk cows, on which there has come no yoke. There is no uh, yoke or burden of, of uh, tying this beast of burden at this age to having done anything before. It was They were not to be anything but animals that had never done beast of burden work. Now they are being used for the service of the Lord. 
So you think of the very sacrifices of the lambs that were used for Passover. Young, one-year-old lambs that were without spot, without wrinkle. Now, they were there now to serve the Lord. And remember, it would be one time only. Why? Because those lambs were set apart for sacrifice. They wouldn't be able to come back for any other work for anybody else. They worked solely for the Lord. I don't think we think about those things sometimes. But this sacredness is important for us to understand because no one before Jesus or after Jesus would ever bear the weight of and for the whole world as he would a few days from this event of entering into the city of Jerusalem. No one before Jesus or after Jesus, Jesus alone, set aside, set apart for this work. No one else could go to that cross but Jesus. And the good thing is that in the book of Hebrews it tells us he did it once for all. The only difference is the lambs that died, you know, were not only, you know, the bloodshed and applied to the doorpost, uh, then they were taken and quartered and, and, and cooked and made meal. You know, of. Jesus died three days later. He rose again. And, but he didn't have to go to the cross again. That was once for all. So understand in the picture of things as Jesus is riding on this foal of a donkey... Jesus had come from heaven not to do his own will, but the will of him that sent him. He came to do his Father's will. Jesus would always do the things that would please the Father. These were the things the disciples did not grasp. But we're told when they did grasp things, again in verse 16, these things understood not his disciples at the first, but when Jesus was glorified, in other words, after his resurrection, then remembered they that these things were written of him, and that they had done these things unto him. To a certain degree. The disciples were as guilty as the people in misunderstanding scripture. And remember they walked with Jesus three and a half years. They heard him say the things that he said about himself. I know that I've said this the last few weeks that that uh, they, they had been told by Jesus very specifically that he sat down with them and he said, I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be taken and I'm going to be crucified. But on the third day, I'm going to rise again. And again, the, the, you know, every time that they said it, they got a little bit more, but they still didn't understand. They said, oh, okay. And then it was like, well, really? And then they went, how many times did Jesus have to tell them? I would venture to say he told them more than three times. We know that Mary, the sister of Martha, heard and understood right away because what did she do? She anointed Jesus with the oil on his head, on his feet, and Jesus said, she did this for my burial. She got it. They didn't. But don't get too cocky here sometimes we don't get it either that's why we have to study that's why we have to read that's why we have to pray that's why we have to continue to trust in the Lord with all of our heart 
the disciples were as guilty as the people in misunderstanding Scripture. The truth of Scripture, its prediction of these things and how the Lord fulfilled them was made clear after the resurrection. The real task, though, of revealing the truth to the heart of man was to be the work of the Holy Spirit. Understand this, that once we get past chapter 12 and chapter 13, three chapters are devoted to Jesus speaking to his disciples about a lot of things, but most importantly, the work of the Holy Spirit. Chapters 14, 15, 16. So when we get there, we'll see that they were told how they would come to an understanding. I'll quote from one in just a moment. But the real task of revealing truth to the heart of men is the work of the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit did come, he made alive the truths to the disciples' minds, and they then saw clearly how Jesus had fulfilled the scriptures in his entry into Jerusalem. So here, as we prepare to close here, not not quite yet, but, but almost, the word of God is deep. It is deep. The word of God is profound and it is unfathomable. Its depth cannot be measured. You cannot measure the depth of the spiritual wonders of God's word. There is a universe of truth within and an eternity of vision, insight, and understanding in God's word. It is the Holy Spirit that takes the believer and awakens him and quickens him and enlivens their mind and heart to grasp the scriptures to the one who seeks the spirit unfolds the word of God and reveals the glorious truths of God to the one who hungers after the word of God the spirit fills the soul with the good things of God's word to the one who thirsts after the word the spirit pours living waters of the word into their very being ask and you shall receive seek and you shall find knock And the door shall be open unto you. When Jesus was telling the disciples that there would be times when people would come and persecute them because of the word of God. He said to them, the Holy Ghost shall teach you in the very same hour what you ought to say. Luke 12 verse 12. And then in John 14, 26, one of the verses that we'll study much uh, a little later. It says, but the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, Paul now says this. He says, for what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man, but the spirit of God. And now we have received, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God. That we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. I don't think it is my own testimony. We'll go on in just a moment. But I don't think it's my own testimony to say that one day before I came to know Jesus Christ, people have been sharing the gospel with me. They've been telling me verses of scripture. They gave me Bibles. I'd read them and I'd look at them and there were words there. And, you know, I, I was trying to understand them, you know, and, but, but I, I, you know, I just, uh, I don't know. I, I just, you know, we, we go into that state of impatience. You know, we just, like, I, don't, I can't understand this. But on that day that God opened my heart. And again, I know it's not my own testimony. I think there's a lot of that testimony here. That on that day that I opened my heart to Jesus Christ. And you know, we can't say that Jesus is Lord without the Holy Spirit. So God had already done the preparing and the planting. 
But on that day, everything opened up. And the understanding came, not from me, but from the Holy Spirit. That I could finally understand the most simple and profound thing for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. It was like light that just flooded my heart and I understood and I cried out. I said, Lord, I... I'm a sinner. There was nothing else to see but that ugliness. And I said, Lord, I need your mercy. And I did the best I could in communicating my heart to the Lord. But I received Christ that day. It's not my own. That's not a unique testimony, is it? How about you? Does that happen? Did that happen to you? Maybe in a different place, maybe at a different time, maybe in a different way. But the light came and confirmed what we read in John chapter 1 about the light and life that can only come through Jesus Christ. Paul said, we've received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Ghost teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. And even John, in his letter to the church, 1 John 2 Verse 27, he says, But the anointing which you have received of him abideth in you, and you need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it has taught you, you shall abide in him. Why do I quote these passages to you in light of what we're talking about, Jesus entering into Jerusalem that day? Well, remember, his disciples didn't understand. But here's the thing. Here's another matter of importance. Since our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ has risen and been glorified, no man has an excuse for not understanding the mission, the purpose, and the call of Jesus. No man has an excuse. He came as the Prince of Peace, and as the Savior of the world. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. He didn't come to fulfill the lustful cravings and worldly ambitions of men, but men are to be saved by him and to surrender their lives to him as the Lord of glory, who now sits at the right hand of God the Father. You know all the mentions of what we read in, in first. I'm sorry, in Psalm 118, before the service began. There were the mentions of the right arm of the Lord, the right arm of the Lord. That's Jesus. Go back and read it today, and realize that anytime you see that right hand of God or the right hand or the right arm of the Lord, 
Who sits at the right hand of God but Jesus? Lastly, I just want to close with this because, again, what all of this is to teach us is that what Jesus is, we are to bear ourselves. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Colossians chapter 3, and we'll close with this, verses 12 through 17. Excuse me. Paul says, put on, therefore, like a garment, because that's what the the idea is in the language, uh, in the Greek language. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and and beloved. Now notice, holy, set apart, just like the foal of the donkey was set apart. Bowels of mercies, to the very depths of our heart, we are to have mercies and kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness and long-suffering. Forbearing one another and forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. It is very hard to be a Christian and not forgive one another. Let's think about that for a moment. How oftentimes we get things said to us and we go into some outrage you know, over it. Then we remember Jesus said, as I forgave you, so also do you. Let's never forget that on the cross Jesus said what? Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. Forbearing one another, forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against thee, against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things put on charity. That word in, in the King James is the word agape or agapao. It is the unconditional love of God. Put on love, which is the bond of perfectness, the bond of our wholeness, the bond of our completeness. It is the bond of our shalom. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, that very same peace that Jesus came to show us as he rode in on the foal of a donkey with peaceful intentions. They should have known at that moment he didn't come to destroy and to conquer Rome. He came to conquer the hearts of men with the peace of heaven. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you're called in one body, and be ye thankful. Be ye thankful. I, I think of the times that, you know, we, we can become so... I want to say the right word. <laughs> oh, we can get so angered at things, you know. We don't like what one person says or one person does or something we read on the, t- on the newspaper or see on TV and all of a sudden, oh, you know, we're, we're, we're having conniptions, as my mom used to say. You're having a conniption. I was like, what's that? I don't know what a conniption is. 
Then I remembered. And then we remember. The Lord says, hey, be thankful. We have so much that God has given us. What are you having a conniption about? (laughs) Be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. There it is again. Give thanks. Give thanks. Encourage each other. In fact, the scriptures tell us that we need to encourage each other as the day of Christ approaches. Is that day not closer now than it's ever been? Then how, why is it that we're not singing and, 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 and admonishing and teaching one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs? Because we keep looking at the world. When we gather together, we have one direction to look up. We're to look up and we're to praise God. And we're to honor God and we're to worship God. And we're to acknowledge and and, and appreciate and and exalt the name of of Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah. That we're all called to do that, by the way. That's what we came here to do. Amen? I hope we keep doing it. That's what we're here for. But we're also here to encourage one another. We're here to encourage each other that Jesus is coming. If there's something that's, that's burdening you, let's lift it up to the Lord. Let's get rid of it today. Let's give it to Him. He's the one that takes care of those things. Amen? All right, let's do that. All right, well, well let's not wait till next week. Or let's not wait till tomorrow. Wait a minute, I got Bible study on Tuesday. I'll wait till then. No, now. Give it to the Lord now. What are we waiting for? What if Jesus were to come in five minutes? Give it to Him. I've been holding on to this, Lord. I don't know what to do. Get rid of it because he's coming. You don't need to hold on to it anymore. You don't need it. He died on the cross for you to come to him and say, Lord, everything is yours. Give me life. And come, Lord. Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God. And the Father by him. Folks, be encouraged. Be encouraged. The devil's busy, but God's conquered. The devil's still working, but he's got his own coming. Just read the book of Revelation. Jesus is coming, but he's already conquered the cross. He died. And he rose again. Does that matter to you? Does it matter? I hope it matters. Because it's life for you. If it matters to you, it's life to you. If it doesn't matter to you, I don't know what else to tell you. But get right with Jesus. Amen? All right. Let's pray. We thank you, Father. I don't we can expend our hearts, Lord, doing a lot of things, but it's still what you do that matters. 
and it's what you've already done that should matter the most. I pray, Father, that we will take hold of your garment, the hem of your garment, just hold on to you, Lord, and not let go. It's time for us to get real with you because all you've ever been was real with us. It's time for us, Lord, to get right with you because all you've ever done has been right for us. How patient you've been. But there's a day coming. And no one has an excuse. No one can say, Lord, you didn't wait long enough. I think you've waited a long time. You've been patient and long-suffering a long time. So now, Lord God, we ask that you would have your way with us. And it's each, each individual here, Lord God, has to cry out to you. I can't pray for everyone, but I can pray for them, but I can't pray their heart's prayer. I pray they understand that today and get right with you now and call unto you now and say, Lord, save me now. I confess with my mouth, the Lord Jesus, I believe in my heart that you raised him from the dead. I believe and I receive. Whatever you have for me now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Shall we stand? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Give you that peace that Jesus came to bring. May he give you the encouragement of your heart to go forth and do the things that honor and bless him at all times. Because really, you don't, you don't bless and please the people around you or me or anybody else. We don't see you every minute of the day, but God does. Jesus does. And he still loves you. Think about that. And he loves you anyway. Isn't that great? God is so good. But you know what? There's a time when we have to come before him. You'd be ready for that. Jesus said, I'm coming. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I'd have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself so that where I am, there you'll be also. That's a promise you can keep, and he will keep it. So be ready. He's coming. Regular hours next week for services, Saturday night, 530, Sunday at 9 and 11. But uh, bring family, bring friends who have never been to church before, need to know Jesus. We're going to talk about the cross and about the resurrection. And an empty tomb. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. So after we sing, make sure if you need prayer or you need to receive the Lord, you need to do something that uh, you just want somebody to pray with you about anything, come on up here to the front after we sing, and uh, you are indeed welcome to receive the Lord Jesus today. Now is the day of salvation, folks. Now, this is it. This is it. So.
Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. We'll sing that a couple of times.